podcast, Barheads. Dearly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for giving us the completed canon of Holy Scripture. We know that it is your word. It is holy. It is separate. It is set apart for our edification, Father. And we're truly set free by understanding and knowing it. We pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us here this morning, that they know that we're praying for them, that we're with them in spirit, and that we would like to have them back here with us to fellowship face to face. We also pray for those that are still lost in this world, Father, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a reality for us to just rejoice in and to be thankful for and grateful for, Father. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 46 of Proverbs 17, Wisdom. Uh, the Spirit gave us a special on Thursday titled, This is the Day. Um, it was something that Scott had written, was planning on teaching on Thursday, but because of his exposure to COVID, I'm assuming that's why he's not here. Does anybody know? Okay. Um, because of his exposure to COVID, he couldn't teach it, and so I taught it instead. Um, and it was kind of a nice way to end. It was on the 31st of December, and it was a nice way to end 2020 with a, a high note on gratitude. And it got me thinking, and I'm sure some of you were thinking as well, I wonder how many people are actually giving thanks for 2020, right? I hear oh, 2020 was a dumpster fire. You know, it's like, what? You know, and it kind of was, let's face it, it was a difficult year, but, you know, and again, I bet most people are probably saying, you know, good riddance. Um, but Holy Scripture clearly states that with the right perspective, with the right perspective, we believers are able to, quote, give thanks in all circumstances, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We are able to do that very thing to give thanks in all circumstances, in all covers 2020. And so it's kind of like this uh, beautiful, I don't want to say secret formula, but you know what I'm saying. We have access to a source, a wellspring of gratitude that changes our lives because it changes our perspective. And we are able to live in this attitude of gratitude in all circumstances, which means we're untouchable, which is phenomenal. Nothing can derail us. We only have to allow it to derail, to derail us. In other words, no matter what's going on in this world or in our lives particularly, we ought to be able to be at peace. We ought to be able to be at peace. You know, if that's not true, then Jesus was a liar. 
Go to John 14, 27. John 14, 27. If everything I just said is not true, then Jesus is a liar. And if he's a liar, then our faith is in vain. John 14, 27. John 14, 27 reads, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Up here on the board, this is a very important statement. Very important statement, especially as we kick off 2021. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not be deceived. If you're looking to the world to make your life better in 2021, you've already missed the mark. If you're looking to the world to make your life better, in 2021, you've already missed the mark. The world will never be able to give you peace. Never. So don't look to it. It's not the wellspring of peace. Jesus Christ said, I will give you my peace. Do ne never look to the world for peace. And don't use some weird, quirky line in the sand, you know, because you flipped a calendar and say, oh, this is a brand new year, everything's going to be different, 2021's going to be good to me. That's just setting yourself up for disappointment. The only way that happens, the only way things get better, is this. That's it. Doing what you're doing right now, focusing, studying, fellowshipping, enjoying, taking in, dining on. You choose your language. But you have to take in the Word of God. You have to. That's what brings you peace. For starters, the emphasis on Thursday's special message was on simply being thankful. Just, you know, just be thankful. Stop looking for things to be thankful for. That's not a bad exercise to get you there. But the idea is to be thankful. That's very different than just saying, well, I'm thankful for this, this, and this. No, so entire self is thankful, is grateful. So here's the verse that launched Thursday evening's message, Psalm 118.24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. And you know what? I taught that on Thursday, and I said, this is the day. And it was, Right? And here I am again Sunday morning saying, this is the day. And you know what? It is. That's the beauty of this passage. It says every day is the day for you to rejoice in. Right? Yesterday's gone. You can't be filled with regret. Tomorrow's a mystery. You don't even know what it is. So your only option is to enjoy the now. I'll give you Barnes. On 118.24, this is the day. He said this, As if it were a new day, 
made for this very occasion, a day which the people did not expect to see, and which seemed therefore to have been created out of the ordinary course and added to the other days. Every day is a new day. Amen? Every day is a new time, a new moment to change your attitude, to have your attitude adjusted, and to be grateful, to be grateful. And who cares if you've gone 12 hours in a day and you can't specifically, which is ridiculous, but let's just say, you can't specifically point to any one thing that really jumps out, that's that lever, that impetus for that change of attitude. So, you're alive, you're saved, hopefully. This day and being glad in it ought to be fused as one. In other words, you have the now. You're victorious in Christ Jesus. He saved you. So if you maintain this perspective, you realize that every day is a gift. As if someone was giving you a new wrapped gift every morning to open. How exciting is that? Everybody, you know, remember when you're a kid, right? Oh, Christmas, oh, it's all about the presents. There's a lot of kids. And, but who doesn't like to get a gift, right? Once in a while. You know, hint, hint. I'm just saying. It doesn't have to be Christmas. Just saying. <laughs> right? But you know that anticipation that you have when you're opening the gift, you know, and sometimes you go slow because, you, you know, whatever. You can think of every day like that, that it's a gift that's being opened, right? And you're kind of excited about it. What, what do I have? Every day you get a brand new gift with a little bow on it and you, you get to open it up. And the 24 hours you have each day is sort of analogous to the time it takes you to unwrap the gift itself. And by the end of the day, the gift has been fully revealed. Now, granted, not every day is like opening up a box that contains, I don't know, a, a set of, you know, keys to a new car, let's say. Maybe you got a new vacuum or a, a hand tool, and you're like, hey, I, you know, I don't want to get something that implies more work. <laughs> right? I don't know why Tammy's laughing. I didn't get her a vacuum this Christmas. And yet, if that's the case, God chose the less than glamorous days perfectly for each one of our lives. So you might open up that gift and it's not something you necessarily expected or even wanted. It wasn't on your wish list, let's say. But you know what? God's never made a mistake ever. Not once. I don't know. Let's think about it. Maybe he's... Maybe if it's not the, you know, the new keys, maybe it's, uh, he's trying to get you to stop being lazy. I don't know. Maybe he does something in your life, and there's a little note that says, from God, you're lazy. I don't know. You know, or something that reminds you that you should have done something already. You should have reached out to someone already on his behalf, let's say. I don't know. Or maybe he's just trying to use some form of discomfort, you know, like 2020, to shake things up a little because maybe you've become complacent or even 
entitled. Like you think you deserve much more than a 2020. Or maybe this day is a day where you do get to open something truly comforting, like a grace gift from a well-prepared, faithful pastor who serves you as an expression of his love for you. Maybe that's certainly a gift you get every time this church is open, every time we post something on the website, every time I write a blog. Well, that's a really nice thing to open up to start your day off with. Maybe it's taking the Spirit's advice and signing up for the By His Well Ministries newsletter. Maybe that's it. These are just options, you see. But the recurring point here, which was the crux of Thursday's message, was that we need to be thankful in all circumstances. We need to be thankful in all circumstances, not just those moments in time that are, you know, so-called pleasurable. That's that's selling the spiritual life so short. If you think that coming to church, learning the Word of God, um, growing in the grace and knowledge of God is just about smiling more or getting more goodies, you know, getting uh, a bigger house or a better car or a better job, if you think that's what God's all about, you have missed the mark completely. It is not about stuff. It's not about just getting pleasurable things. God, You don't get to put God on a treadmill that way and say, God, hey, listen, just keep doing stuff that I like. Make me more comfortable. Give me more pleasure in my life. Do, what is this? Fantasy Island? No. Look and find where it says that Jesus smiled in the Bible. I know it says he wept. I know it says that he had peace to give in abundance, love to give in abundance. Right? But his life was really tough, especially at the end. You think it was a little tougher than 2020? So don't do that to the spiritual life. This isn't a uh, candy store. You don't show up to the Bible and go, hey, Dad, what can you give me? Okay, I'm here. I'm, I'm dedicating a little bit of my time. You know, what can you give me? Give me more pleasure. Give me more comfort. Give me stuff. Give me what I want. And then I'll believe you love me. You have missed the mark completely. This is not a candy store. This is about being sanctified for his purposes. Not your idea, or your ideas plural, of what the good life is. You need to throw that stuff in the trash can. That's what Paul said. He said, I had the world by the horns. I consider it all rubbish. He said it was garbage. I had everything. He had reputation, knowledge, uh, self-esteem. He had all of it, everything most people in this world are looking for, even money. He said it was all garbage compared to just knowing him. 
which means if you have to go through hell and high water to know him, then go through hell and high water. If you open up that little gift in the morning that says, you're going to go through hell and high water this morning, gird your loins, then go through it. Then go through it. Everybody likes to talk, you know, get the tattoos and the, you know, the, wear the uniforms. I'm a warrior. Are you, though? I know you like the uniform. Are you, though? Or you just like talking a big game, you like to wear the necklace and hand out the little coins with John 3.16 on it. This isn't a candy store, right? So you have to learn to be thankful in all circumstances. All circumstances. So we cling to this attitude of gratitude, and we're immensely blessed for it up here on the board. Learn to be grateful for the now. I mean, you're here. You're alive. You're breathing. You're kicking. So what? Your life sucked last year. And I say that in a practical sense, because it really didn't. If you're saved, your life never sucks. But let's just say you had a bunch of crap going on in your life. So, suck it up, buttercup. No, really, suck it up. Stop self-wallowing in self-pity. Right? Imagine if Jesus said that. Oh, uh, I don't think I can go to the cross. Uh, uh. Right? And here we are. Oh, 2020 was so bad, I have to wear a mask. You're alive. Hopefully you're saved. Learn to be grateful for the now. As the Spirit pointed out on Thursday, being alive and being grateful are two grace gifts that are actually, believe it or not, you ready? Infectious. I don't mean like COVID. I mean the attitude, right? That attitude of gratitude. It's infectious. Meaning these wonderful God-given gifts we're able to use to his glory. We're able to spread his grace to others. Go to Hebrews 3.12. You have today, it's a grace gift. You've got so much to be grateful for. It's a grace gift. Your cup overflows as a result, which means now you get to share his grace with others Hebrews 3.12 Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort, encourage one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If that means all we do is remind each other of our so great salvation, then so be it. Honestly, so be it. Who's perfect at that? I'm not. I don't get up every morning. I know shame on me, right? I don't get up every morning and thank God for being saved. I do an awful lot. But sometimes I forget, sometimes I'm distracted, 
sometimes a fiery dart has already got to me, I don't know, it almost seems like in a dream, and I wake up in a foul mood or distracted or preoccupied with something that is completely ungodly. And I don't say thank you for saving me yet another day. I don't say thank you for waking me up so that I can bring glory to you yet another day. And I start off on that wrong vector. So, you know, if we just remind each other of so great salvation, that should be enough. I mean, I do it pretty much every time I stand behind this pulpit. Pretty much. So there's one simple fact that is the greatest reminder of all up here on the board, that God decided to save you. Have you forgotten? Because that still existed in 2020 when you were complaining about masks or social distancing. I'm pretty sure that still existed. You didn't say, oh, well, maybe this year you're, gonna, you're not going to have the encouragement of salvation, you know. Think about it this way. God decided to save you. If anyone knows how wretched you are, it's you. I mean, besides God. It's you, right? Anyone knows how wretched you are, it's you. And in humility, you have to ask, why? <laughs> why? Seriously? Why? I mean, if you're fair, you probably would say, I wouldn't even have saved me. Think about it. Would you have died for you? Probably not. The way you were, in the condition you were before salvation, would you have died for you if you were perfect? Probably not. Fair to say? I think so. Most, <laughs> Let's face it. None of us are perfect, and we still wouldn't die for you. That's what Paul wrote, Romans 5, 7, 8, up here in the board. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul, in his humility, asked the same question we're asking ourselves this very day, thousands of years later. Why us? Why me? Why'd you save me? You might argue, you know, as some morons do, God had to save me. I demanded it. I said this prayer, you know. I said, I want to be saved. Save me, Lord. I said this little prayer. I said that I believed in Jesus. I got no fruit to point to. I got no heart for him. But I said that I believed in Jesus. So he has to save me. So you see, I've been in control all along. God has to save me. You'd be wrong. Up here on the board, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Yeah, hate to break it to you. You don't make demands on God like that. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus' words here remove any possible credit 
the human flesh might seek to gain in the miracle of salvation by faith through grace alone. The truth, as stupendous and unexpected as it seems, is that God chose to save you personally. God chose to save you personally. Jesus Christ died for you personally, for your personal sins even. And he did this knowing how awful you were without him. That fact alone ought to have us singing the following song from the rooftops. Remember the Psalms are just songs up here on the board. Psalm 118.24 This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Most of you are probably singing it. I can't because my voice is shut. Otherwise I would bless you out. You'd think the angels had come down Nadine, right, and just saying to you personally, she's like, oh God. You've been spared. So Thursday's special message was to give us all a little more of this up here on the board perspective. It truly is everything. Each and every day we wake up, we have a chance to be grateful. Tomorrow's gone, so don't wallow in it. So you were an ungrateful brat. At least you're humble about it. But today is a new day. And God's faithfulness is renewed every morning. So here we are. We have a chance to be grateful. To help with this, we read several passages, beginning with 2 Corinthians 4.15. Go there. 2 Corinthians 4.15. Just be grateful. Make a, you know, make a commitment, to use uh, Monica's blog. Commit to them. 2 Corinthians 4.15. Corinthians 4.15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Grace extends to more and more people so that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Up here on the board, increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. God pours grace into our laps so that we realize how blessed we are. We must seize each moment for what it is, a grace gift. This is the essence of being grateful. It's a status quo, a state of being, a mindset, versus, you know, tallying and weighing the details of life. And that glorifies God in time. So says Holy Scripture. Then we spent a lot of time on Colossians. Go to Colossians 1, verse 11. Colossians 1, 11. These are just points of review. Colossians 1, 11. Reads, May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, giving thanks. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Up here on the board, he has delivered us. Does this ever get old? How could it? Does it ever get old? That's supposed to say ever. I corrected it in my notes, I swear. Does it ever get old? Jump forward, Colossians 2.6. Colossians 2, verse 6. Some more encouragement. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, up here on the board, rooted and built up in Him. Christ Jesus is the foundation of all that we are, all that we are grateful for. Allah, 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He is our very foundation. Look at verse 7 again. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then just look at the result of being rooted and built up in Him. You abound in thanksgiving. He's our root system for thanksgiving itself. Jumping forward to where Paul reaches the full height of his discourse, go to Colossians 3.14. Colossians 3.14. He reaches the full height of his discourse. He says, And above all these, put on love. Above everything else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And in the original Greek, it's unity, maturity, something that's consummated, something that comes together, that fits together. That's love. Put on that, and it ties everything and binds everything together in perfect harmony harmony. And it's wonderful to see the listing of the good fruit that results in verse 15. Look at that. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And what? Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, with grace in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever, all of it, in all circumstances, in all of 2020, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So you say, that's great, Pastor. That's wonderful. I love it. It's so edifying. I feel so encouraged by this, but I'm stuck. Sounds good on paper. I agree, but I'm stuck. I'm in a rut. It happens to the best of us. I'm stuck. Paul gives us a strategy that is guaranteed to work. Not maybe it'll work. Guaranteed to work. Look at 4, 2. Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in what? 
prayer. There's your guarantee. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And you might say, I just prayed last night and nothing's different. Seriously? Seriously, that's your commitment to the Lord? You want to just pop a pill? He's not a pharmacist, right? You don't get to pop some magic pill and overnight you're delivered from all the horrible things you've done to yourself. And we're all in that same boat because we're all sinners. So don't think your life is so much more horrible than the next person's because it's not. It's absolutely not. You have no idea what's going on in the sick heads of other people. It's bad. Is that fair? Yeah. <laughs> what? Well, I don't know what's going on back there. Todd's like, amen. I don't know what's going on, DJ. I'm just going to move on. Look, he's dove behind the, the monitor over there. He disappeared. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Jesus himself told the parable of the persistent friend in order to encourage his disciples to keep asking in prayer. So you're stuck, right? I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. Up here on the board, Luke 11, 8-9. Jesus said, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. And these, remember, the original language says diligently. It doesn't just say ask once. It says diligently. You don't get to ask and pray one time the night before and go, what happened? Where's my deliverance? It doesn't work like that. I'm still crabby. I'm still miserable. Yeah, keep asking. Keep praying. Keep committing yourself to prayer. Steadfastly pray, as we just read. So Jesus said, ask diligently, persistently, and it will be given to you. Seek persistently and you will find. Knock persistently and it will be opened to you. So if you're struggling right now with any of this, my advice, the biblical stance, is pray. Ask God. Up here on the board, perspective this day, we must learn to simply choose to be grateful. If you're struggling with that, pray. So we ended Thursday's special message with Romans 8, which is such an incredibly edifying passage that the Spirit wants us to read it again before we transition back to our primary course of study. So go to Romans 8.26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans 8.26 Alright, you ready? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for. See? What did He just tell us? He said what? If you're stuck, do what? Pray. And here's Paul, literally writing. We don't know what to pray for. Hey, what gives? You tell me to pray but then you say, you know, we don't know what to pray for. Well, let's continue on. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So don't you worry about 
what you're not, don't, you know, don't be worried about how you're praying. Just pray. Go to him and pray. Be open with him. Fellowship with him. Be honest and humble before him. That's what he's looking for. And just know that you have the Spirit himself interceding for you. Verse 27, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, this is how we ended on Thursday, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's a pretty big question. If God is for us, the holy sovereign creator of the universe is for us. Who the heck can stand against that? It's a rhetorical question. No one. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? So we have two intercessors. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Up here on the board, perspective this day, the holy sovereign God of the universe, creator of all things, has adopted you into his personal family. Not a single person, thing, or circumstance will ever, ever steal you from his embrace. How's that for something to be grateful for? How about that as impetus for being grateful? That one fact. If you have to point to that one fact every single day, then do it. Because I don't know about you, but it doesn't get old. Why me? Seriously? You chose me? You saved me. You died on a cross for me. You paid the penalty for my sins. With that said, we got a journey back to our primary course of study uh, up here on the board. So much of what the Spirit's been saying over the past few months now pivots on Jesus' words in Acts 20.35b. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The Spirit gave us some more food for thought on this as we get more practical. Getting back to our primary course of study up here on the board, just things to think about. It is more blessed to give. What, though? 
Well, we've been studying Thanksgiving. Give thanks in all circumstances. How about giving your time and your energy? How about that? Every day is a new day. Give of yourself. Love. Forgiveness. You. Just you. Give yourself. Again, these are just applications of giving. Um, but as the Spirit pointed out last time, it's not the line items necessarily. What you're looking at is fruit. That's fruit of something else. There's a root system that God's got his eye on. There's something that produces this. It's what motivates us to give of ourselves in so many ways. Up here in the board, Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, you don't just present yourself here, here, and here. You say, here I am. All of me, right? I present everything that I am, every faculty that I've got, I'm handing over to you, Lord. That's the attitude that we're after, and that's what God wants, because when that attitude exists, those fruit and many others, they just happen. And you're not worried religiously about doing them, about, you know, checking them off. Well, I did this and I did that. No, just commit yourself to him and see what he does with you. It's magnificent. Here's another translation to help amplify what the Spirit's saying up here on the board. Romans 12:1, the Amplified Classic. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication. You like that? A decisive dedication. Stop playing lawyer. Stop playing lawyer. Make a decision right now. Right now, make a decision. I'm all in. That's it. I'm all in. I'm with the Lord. The world, not to be crazy on a Sunday morning, but to hell with the world. I'm all in with you, Lord. I'm not going to expect anything out of 2021 without your help. I'm not going to expect the world to give me peace. I'm not going to expect the world to come around because it treated me so bad in 20. I'm going with you. I'm going with your promises. I'm going to make a decisive dedication of my entire self, my body, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice. You are alive, right? Check yourself. Yep. A living sacrifice. Your sacrifice is not just doing something for an old lady. That's good. Nothing, you know. It's you. You're the sacrifice. You get the difference? It's not one part of you that's trying to check off something on a list. It's you. And that's how you have to think about it. That's what a decisive dedication of your body actually means. It means all of you, not part of you. And stop lawyering. Living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. And if we look at that, this is how um, God has designed his economy to flow after all. Right? 
This is what grace looks like. Uh, it's not a punchline at a party. You know, grace is not a punchline at a Christian gathering. Grace is action as well. Up here on the board, grace is action. Grace is an expressive part of godly love. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Grace is an expressive part of godly love. I like to say grace is love in action. Right? Grace is the expression of a root system. Here's a biblical viewpoint on God's economy where grace is the currency up here on the board. God fills up our cup with love by grace and our love overflows into the laps of others by grace. We love because he first loved us. Our cup gets filled up. Abundantly, it overflows into the laps of others. It goes round and round. That's God's economy. That's it. Love and grace are both the cause and the effect, as we learned last time. Hence, go to 1 John 4.19. 1 John 4.19 Love and grace, both the cause and the effect. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. <clears throat> he filled our cup, our cup overflows. John continues with a statement about integrity of God's economy. Look at verse 20. If anyone says, quote, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. And as we're getting back to our primary course of study, which as you know, has everything to do with family, here's a commandment that certainly takes us back to our primary course of study on divine institution of family. Go to Ephesians 6.1. Ephesians 6. Verse 1. So commandments are not burdensome. We're talking about family in our primary course of study. Let's see how these two things come together. Ephesians 6, 1. And this is grace. This is love expressed, right? Look at verse 1. This is an expression of godly love. You ready? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's an expression of love. That's following a commandment. And the Bible says that's love. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of 
for the Lord. Doesn't mean the kids aren't going to get angry when you ground them or even spank them or discipline them. Chances are they're going to. They might even be little petty little rascals and hold a grudge for years. You don't know. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's your job. That's your show of love. So we have really wonderful guidance for families. And if you look closely, you can see God's economy in Ephesians 6. Everything we've been speaking or uh, being taught from the Spirit on God's economy, there it is in the family structure, round and round. Children, obey your parents. Parents, discipline your children, right? That's a show of love. That's a show of grace. And that's how his economy moves inside the family structure, right? Wonderful guidance for families. So if you look at it closely, you see God's economy where grace and love flow in multiple ways among family members. And don't miss the fact, listen, don't miss the fact that Paul doesn't paint some rosy picture of family life. You understand? He doesn't paint some rosy picture of family life. Matter of fact, he wraps it in the doctrine of discipline. And discipline is not always, you know, I'm going to discipline you, I'm going to spank your bottom. No, no, no. Discipline is discipline. Discipline implies fitness for the job. It implies training for the job at hand. That's discipline. It may require a little smack, but that's only one aspect of discipline. Discipline also says, at a boy, you are disciplined to the concept of the family. You are disciplined to his commandments. That's what discipline is. I'll give you something that I'm utterly convinced of. I'm 51 years old now, a couple of kids of my own. They're all out of the house. Although Sean keeps lingering. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) But I'm utterly convinced of what I'm about to say. And I believe it's absolutely biblical doctrine. Here it is, up here on the board. The value of discipline in the family. A family without discipline is a cursed family. That I am convinced of. Every family I've ever met that, does, that lacks in discipline is cursed. I just watch the kids. I watch the family. I watch the parents. It's painful to watch. Broken families, broken families, uh, hatred, spite, um, vitriol, venom, it's, it's awful. And you don't wish that on anyone. But the, 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 the least common denominator, if you want to get down to it, they lack discipline. I always blame the father, by the way, if he's even present. I always blame the father. Ninety-something percent of the time, it's the head of the household who's not doing his job. Starts with the head of the household. It starts with the head of the family. That's why men, it is so important. Women, ladies, push your man. Say, listen, you got to take, you got to be the man of the house. You take, seize this opportunity. 
add some discipline to our family. The value of discipline. A family without discipline is a cursed family. I'll let you figure out the rest. Some of you just nodding your heads and saying, yep. But for you parents out there who want to be blessed, if discipline isn't at the very core of your family structure, you are setting your family up for disaster. And the earlier you establish sound discipline in the family, the happier and more peaceful your family will be in the long run. I've personally witnessed many families where the parents were lax on discipline, and now they are paying the price for it. And I don't mean it's not about hitting the kids. That is one aspect, if necessary, that has to be there. I'm talking about disciplining the home. I'm talking about having discipline to the Word of God. That discipline. If that's not part of the family structure, if it's not at the core of the family structure, they pay the price. And sometimes it's years, even years after kids have left the house. So the Spirit wants us to know what a godly family structure looks like so that we can model our own after it and be blessed. That's the whole idea, to be blessed. Go to Proverbs 17.6. So now we get back to where we were. Proverbs 17.6. We saw some commandments in Ephesians 6 that those commandments are not burdensome, that you're blessed when you follow them. Proverbs 17, 6, just another angle into the same rose bush, right? Same beautiful reality, family structure. This is just another angle. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is in their fathers. Okay? So to reconnect with our last message, which was back on December 27th, I think, up here on the board, teaching us love, God uses godly families to teach children about his love from a practical perspective. The divine institution of marriage and family are actually the platforms God uses to teach others about his love. Godly families aren't necessarily the end goal, rather they are the vehicle, the context for love to shine. You see? It's just a, via, it's just a platform. He said, abide in my commandments and watch what I can do in this little microcosm called your family. And don't forget the emphasis the Spirit just put on discipline. To move. You understand? For things to work. All right, look, let me, for, you, for you mechanical jar, uh, propeller heads out there, think of discipline as a set of gears, right? What if some of the gears are missing teeth? Or they're bent or they're m- maligned? Right? What does the machinery look like? You ever driven a car that's like a couple of the pistons are out? Or, you know, the gears are shot or something like that? Nobody? Bad example? No mechanical people in here? Imagine a bunch of gears. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you have a hairdryer. Right? I don't know. The motor's missing bristles. I can't even do that because you guys, what, has bristles? What? There's copper? Some motor? 
Uh, discipline, right? Means things are properly fit. So that the, the, the gearing can work. So that things work well, right? But that's not the end goal. That's just to get things moving. You understand? End goal is the context for love to shine. Anyways, moving right along, that was a failure. There's an intrinsic goodness that blankets a godly family that is unmistakably a blessing from God, designed to encourage such families to persist in the faith. Let me say it again. There's an intrinsic goodness that blankets a godly family that is unmistakably a blessing from God, designed to encourage such families to persist in the faith. I can say from personal experience, the greatest times in my family have been when we've all been aligned to the Lord. And when we get together and we all align to the Lord, that's when love really shines. That's when we realize that, hey, the Lord is with us right now and he's encouraging us to persist in this thing. Like, let's just stop for a moment. You see what's, everybody see what's going on right now? Yeah, that's called godly peace. Right? That's called godly peace. It's yours if you want it. If you want to stay disciplined. If you want to abide in His commandments. If you want to commit to His way, His plan, His family structure. None of this other garbage where there's two moms and two dads. Or a mom who used to be a mom and now she's a guy. None of that garbage that's anti-biblical. He said, this is how I designed it. To that end, into Solomon's wisdom in Ecclesiastes 4, the whole family unit becomes stronger when they're knit together that way. Go to Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Ecclesiastes 4.9 The family is meant to be a unit. Do you understand? And we're stronger together when that unit is intact. Okay, everybody understands military. This is how persistent I am. I'm going to get you to understand this. Think of a military unit where it's all, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's all for one, but not one for all. But not, no, wait a minute. Everybody's a self-centered island. And there's a unit of, I don't know, say it's three guys out on a patrol. And everybody's like, I don't care about that guy. I'm just going to save my eye. If bullets stop flying, I'm just taking care of myself. Well, how long do you think that unit's going to last? When one of the guys is the radio operator that can call in a hit, and the other guy is a sniper, who's the only guy who can hit somebody from, I don't know, bazillion yards away. And the other guy's a medic, let's just say. How good are they apart, but how good are they together? You see? Huh? Huh? Right? Note to self, never bring up mechanical items ever again. They just look at you. You guys are lucky. Last minute, I pulled out a whole thing on, Sean, you ready for this? Potential versus kinetic energy. Saved you. 
Apparently, I should have taken out the mechanical thing. Look at Ecclesiastes 4.9. You there? I did all that, so give you time. I threw my own self under the bus. This is what I do. Melissa, it's what I do. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. I didn't say that. That's the wisest man of his time. You ready? Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and is not another to lift him up. If you're in this church, by the way, you'll never be alone in a practical sense because we're all here for you. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. And how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And here it is, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now think of a family of three for a moment. Let's just say a husband, a wife, and a child. Doesn't that comprise a threefold cord? Yep. Well, according to Solomon's wisdom, that type of cord is not quickly broken. That's the whole point the Spirit's making here, my friends. So what does it mean? What does this mean if we try to apply it to our own lives, our own marriages, our own families? Concentrate, because I've got to close here. We've got communion service still. Well, here's some food for, st- for, for thought, for starters. Since God is glorified and therefore pleased with godly families, we can readily conclude, let me say it again, since God is glorified, all right, so the stakes are kind of high, huh? God is glorified or he's not. So he puts a little pressure on family, doesn't he? In other words, a big opportunity to bring glory to God. God is glorified, and therefore he's pleased with godly families. Should I say it again? In other words, the Spirit's saying, don't be afraid to realize that God puts a type of onus, a type of responsibility on the family itself as a structure, right? As a thing that he wants to work a certain way. He puts a certain responsibility on that group. Starts with the husband, men. Starts with the husband. And you say, well, my wife's a witch. You married her. Did you not take enough time to figure out that she was a witch? Or did you rush into it because you wanted to have sex or something? I don't know. I mean, you married her. You you took a vow, for better, for worse. Till death do us part. What's that word? Death! Not till your mind changes. Not till you're tired of it because she's sagging. You don't get to become a jackass because your wife got old. Did you not think she was going to get old? I need a newer model. What's wrong with you? Till death do you part. Last time I checked. You're the one who took the vows. God is glorified and therefore pleased with godly families. So, you ready? Up here on the board. On marriage and family, we believers are held to a higher standard. That is a fact. Too much is given, much is required. 
So says Holy Scripture. We are held to a higher standard. If we're going to bring glory to God, we have to do it His way, right? And guess what? It's not burdensome. It's only burdensome because your flesh finds it burdensome. That's the only time it's burdensome. It's your flesh. How could the new creature be at odds in any way, shape, or form with the holy, sovereign God of the universe? It cannot. It cannot. That's the whole point. And God says, do it right. Bring glory to me. I put emphasis on this institution called family for a reason. I even modeled the Bible, the way that I teach you about family, after my son, who's the head of the church, the husband of his bride. You are a reflection of that perfect, harmonious relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride. And who's responsible? Who's the head of that family? Welcome to marriage, gentlemen. Welcome to your responsibility. If you don't want that responsibility, don't get married. Be like Paul. Be like Jesus. Don't get married. Nowhere in the Bible does say you have to get married. Then don't get married if you don't want that responsibility. That's the whole point. But if you do, you better know this point. Especially if you're a believer. God holds you to a higher standard. In fact, if we think about that, a humble person will embrace this fact. Really? You mean I get to bring more glory to God as part of a family unit? Not just as myself even? Yeah, isn't that awesome? So a, a humble person embraces this. They don't shy away from it. Because having a higher standard means that God promises to empower us to reach that standard, that standard, which in turn means we have more opportunity to bring glory to God in time. You see the difference there? You see the difference between somebody who's humble and someone who's arrogant? Somebody who's humble and someone who's lawyering? Someone who's humble and someone who's self-absorbed? A self-absorbed person says, oh, I got the ball and chain. I got this thing. My kids are brats. Or, you mean I get the responsibility of being a good husband and father? And that could bring more glory to God in time? The one who chose to save me? I have that opportunity? Yes. Let's do it then. Because I really want to be pleasing to the Lord. You see the difference? All it is is just, it's just different. So this in of itself is a wonderful blessing to be able to bring glory to the one who saved you. That's what family is. That's why we're studying family. It's not about to it's not about pointing out that you failed. That's none of my business. It really isn't. That's between you and the Lord. If you failed somehow, well that's between you and him. Pray on it. I don't know what the recovery path looks like for you. I don't know. The Bible's pretty silent on a lot of things. It tells you how to do things right. It doesn't always tell you how to recover when you don't. Other than some general rules. Pray on it. Go to Him on it. 
Consult with him on it. Right? I don't have a little book in the back that God gave me and says, hey, listen, if you muck up your family, here's, here's exactly what you do with these five steps. That doesn't exist. The Bible's silent, which is why my advice is always, get it right the first time. How about that? You don't have to try to look for the five steps. Do you follow him getting it? Again, this is about bringing glory to the one who saved you. That's the beauty of family. Amen? All right, guys, get your gloves on. Play some music. Remember, they're going to hand the elements to you for safety's sake. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, awful lot to think about this morning. I'll just get right to it. <clears throat> Luke twenty-two thirteen, And they went and found the upper room just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of the person of our Lord. Let's eat the bread. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's drink the cup in remembrance of his work. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. This is the day. This is a unique moment that you've given each one of us as a grace gift. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us so much to be grateful for, that we may be thankful. What an incredible gift today is, Father. And let us abide in this gratitude as our cups overflow into the laps of others as we venture back out into the world, Father, back to our homes. We're just so grateful for the opportunity to fulfill your will and your plan in our own lives. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to our homes, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.